Before we get to today's episode, I want to be sure that all of our listeners are aware of the brand new VSP Vision exam rebate available now to all PECA Max members. Between July 1st and the end of 2023, all PECA Max members will receive an additional $5 per VSP commercial eye exam on their incentivize rebate. To learn more, sign up for PECA Max and make sure you are gaining access to this critically new rebate, please visit PECAExamRebate.com. Now to the show. Welcome to the Practice Advantage Podcast. I'm Dr. Justin Manning, and here on the podcast, I interview experts from within and outside the eye care industry on the business management topics and advice that matter most to you, your practice, your patients, and your success. Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Practice Advantage podcast. Moving from partner to sole owner is a significant professional and business leap and a rewarding one at that. Many first-time practice buyers are learning as they go, relying on others to guide them through the process. And let's face it, significant lessons are learned along the way. In today's episode, I'm sitting down with Dr. Brianna Rue, co-founder of Dr. Contact Lens and now owner of West Broward Eye Care Associates in Tamarack, Florida. She recently completed a buyout of the practice and is here to share her experience and the lessons she learned along the way. Brianna, welcome to the Practice Advantage podcast and thanks for being back. Thank you, Justin. I'm so excited to be here today. Now, before we dive into your experience recently buying out your partner, how did you determine that private practice is where you wanted to be? And what's the future of private practice look like to you? Yeah, I like to kind of look back on those moments in your life where you're like, what was that deciding moment when I wanted to be an optometrist? And mine was actually really early on in my life. Little did I know in second grade, being a young myope, that my first pair of contacts and a uh, colleague of my dad was an optometrist in Colorado Springs, a very successful optometrist there. So Justin and I, that's where we share some synergy there. Um, And I grew up in that practice going from patient to putting away charts for him to learning about the billing to the technician side to becoming a scribe and then going to school. And I saw that private practice and saw his innovations and saw also Dr. Melissa Tata in that practice on really being a mom and a wife and a practice owner and what all that really looked like. And I had that vision of what truly optometry was, not only on getting to take care of the patients, but also on the business side. And that's what I really, really had great mentors along the way to understand we get to play in both sides, running the business, having it work for us as a private practice owner, as well as the patient care side of being a physician and what that all brought together. So to me, the future of private practice looks incredibly bright if we continue to adopt and change and be progressive in our practices. And that's also the practice I grew up in. He was one of the first people to have an optos in 2000. He was the first, one of the first ones to have an EMR in like 1996. 
And so it's just that innovation to keep looking to the future and keep growing your own vision as well as taking care of other people's vision. So yeah, private practice to me, it's a, it's a good jam. I love that. And, and you're, you're spot on in, in really what the future of private practice and optometry looks like as long as we are willing to adopt and change and bring in new technologies and really meet that patient consumer where they are, I think is so, so critical. All right, let's talk about your recent transaction. How did it get started? How the conversation negotiations go? How how difficult of a process was it? Oh my goodness. As of July 26, I feel like a million pounds have been lifted off of my shoulders getting that transaction transaction all the way through. A lot of it's timing. I think that we're all in this like do now, do now, like I want it now kind of mentality. And a lot of this was a waiting game and really putting in the time and energy behind it, right? So I joined Dr. Gus Farnizo in 2010, right out of residency, had a job to go back to Colorado, passed that up because I had met my husband at the, now at the time, boyfriend at the time. Um, and I said, look, if I can find a private practice that I love, then we can stay in South Florida. And walked into Dr. Garmizo's practice and just really saw what he had built. It was a four-lane practice. He had an OC, or he had an HRT at the time, which was unheard of. He had topography and a visual field and like all the things coming out of Bascom Palmer that I knew what private practice was. Um, they needed some paint and some uplifting and a new touch to it. And I went in that meeting with him completely honest, saying, look, I want to come and help grow something, but I want to be part of that growth. And I want to eventually purchase something. So we really were honest with each other in the beginning on that path from associate to putting in my time and dating and getting to know each other to purchasing a, we became 50-50 partners in 2015. And we had a seven year turn, kind of eight year uh, practice buyout. So that was really the journey on just kind of that path where we really made the partnership work on how we paid one another based on compensation and work hours and things like that. Cause I think that's where partnerships really go south. Um, some days you're showing up, some days the other person isn't, some days they're showing up, some days you're not. So that's really beneficial, I think, for the partnership. And then on the buyout, um, it was just obviously the negotiation games early on in the conversation on that original buy-in on what that looked like. Because now as the, really as you're buying in, you're now the senior partner, essentially, because you're the one buying it out. And so it's interesting how that shift takes place um, across those negotiations. And at any point of the deal, you got to be willing to walk away, right? <laughs> you can't get it done. Um, so we really had an amicable relationship on what that looked like and really comes down to cash flow at the end of the day and what the bank is going to loan you. Um, you can get these valuations. You can have a seller's evaluation or valuation, a buyer's valuation, and then average like guys, this is so messy. Like what's the cash flow? That's the freaking number and move on. You both have done a lot for the practice and you need to understand that. And I think that's where a lot of deals go south. So we were fortunate enough to, again, have that foundation and get it over the finish line. I love that. I think it's really easy for us to get hung up in the mechanics of securing the loan and getting to the number and putting the purchase agreement in place and all of that. But it really starts so much earlier 
in that relationship that you build, in the transparency and that clear communication. And, you know, I, I love to talk about people on this podcast. It's so easy and staffing and we won't talk about too much of that today, but it really comes down to the relationship that you have with the partner as you were buying in, as you became the senior partner and then ultimately buying them out. And again, I, I just, I don't want our listeners to miss how important that piece is. Let's talk, I, I'm, I'm curious, what was your experience? So once you came to the final number and you, you get cash flow, where you were, what the, the 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 final purchase, the buyout looked like, how did the process go in securing the financing and, and the bank conversations? How difficult of a process was that? That's actually probably the easiest portion was really the financing part. So it's once you, they have, you know, you have many places that do it. Um, we, you have Wells Fargo, Bank of America, all these, right? They're willing to lend to optometrists and willing to lend you a lot because you're pretty much a sure thing. I think it's like 98% success rate for private practices. So they know um, that the cash flow is there and they know the business. So that was pretty easy once we got all of that. And then it was just securing your attorneys that you need to help you with the purchase agreement and all of that. Um, and then it's like your life insurance and your disability insurance have to be upped. And like, now I'm so insured, I can't even like walk out the door because I don't even have any cash flow to like get hurt, right? So you're like, oh my goodness, all of this extra um, insurance, which just goes to the bank, right? To cover the expense. I like to say I'm a millionaire with a minus in front of it now. Um, and what all that looks like is pretty easy. And you have somebody that's holding your hand on documents that you need and tax returns and all of that. But it really helps set you up for success uh, as you dig deeper into that, um, into the finance side. Now, being on this side as the as the owner, having gone through the process, what challenges did you face along the way, or or perhaps what surprised you that you weren't expecting about the process, and what were some of the biggest lessons you you learned? There was a big emotional component to this because he did start the practice and it was it's really honoring somebody in their life's work. And you have to keep that in mind as you're going through it, too, because a lot of the staff members have been there. Um, Robin, JC, Diane, Liz, they've been there 16, 25, 29 like years from the beginning. Right. And so you really have to nurture the staff through that process, too. Because um, sometimes they'll feel left behind and how we retired him was really cool. Letting the patients know. We actually had a little party for him uh, to let them know like he's, you know, excited to move on. But he was so excited and honored to take care of your vision and introduce really me as the new owner. Right. And to get that stamp of, stamp of approval is really important. So creating the letter that we did, announcing his retirement. Um, and just really honoring what he has built. I think you can't forget that. And so some of the challenges there was that emotional component of, um, you know, like not having that partner. It is all on me, which I'm really excited now that it is because I feel I can now um, really do what I want to do with the practice too. I always was able to do that, but there's just another kind of level up here that I'm excited to bring. So really those emotional challenges with the staff and yourself. And then now the patients when I'm seeing 
his patients that, you know, didn't want to come see me the last 13 years because they wanted to see him. That's great. Now they are seeing me. And so it's handling those relationships too, where they, you know, they all want to brag on how long they've been coming to the practice and you just have to sit there and let them do it. And um, it's been really exciting to hear some stories along the way. So really it's the emotional component on how you stay steadfast. That's a really interesting perspective. And I, I appreciate you sharing that. If, if you, knowing now what you know about the buyout process, recognizing perhaps those emotional milestones, those emotional touch points along the, the buyout journey, what advice would you give yourself and perhaps extending it out to our listeners who may be in this process or considering this process, what advice would you give yourself knowing now what you know about the process? Well, it was interesting. We were supposed to have this done um, like six months ago, but we it like really snuck up on us. And so I was like, uh, you can't go anywhere. We haven't retired you yet. And so I think it's really, really planning that year out in what that's going to look like. And that starts about six months prior to that end date of the doctor to get all of these moving pieces uh, in place. So the patients don't feel left behind. So the staff doesn't feel left behind. And so that's where I really liked on the kind of buy-in, buy-out. Um, even if you're just buying in, these are some things that you can take to make sure that the staff feels listened to and heard along the way, and that you're really, really honoring what that doctor has also built and can leave you for your benefit. Let's let's talk about the people, because again, I can't get through a podcast episode without talking about people management. What does the transition look like now from, you know, you, you named a number of the, the team members who've been with the practice for a long time. Business ownership, people management is a is always a challenge. A transition of ownership adds an extra layer to that. So what steps have you taken and what steps, shall we say, are you taking to bring that team along in that journey? They've been there for the ride, obviously coming in as a young associate. And I think you have to really tread water in the beginning to just kind of learn your way, right? You do have to put in your time. It's not just you're going to kind of snap your fingers and they're already going to respect you. You have to build trust. You have to build respect. You have to show up. Um, I remember going in when I didn't have patience and like updating forms or painting or picking up trash or I bought them a new microwave, right? Like just silly random things that go a long way in how they perceive you um, is really important. And then as you build that trust, you can build that banter. And you start to manage in your own way. Um, Dr. Garnizo was always really, really great with words when we did need to let somebody go. Learned a lot from him. So just understanding and that that candor that you have with your um, your partner is important. So I think managing the team is just being that leader that you want to do and just showing up every day um, for your team. That's the work that you get to do, and then. They've, re you know, I've implemented a lot of things. And so they knew change came with me, like in order to work with me and be here. And we lost some people along the way. I'm not saying that we didn't. Change, it has to be part of their DNA to come work at West Broward because we're constantly innovating with Dr. Contact Lens and Optivine, all these little things that we're adding in. I brought that. I added EMR to the practice. I was one of the ones scanning in all of the charts. So they just saw me do things. And then that 
shows you what kind of team member you're going to be um, to them. I think that's super, super important. And I appreciate you sharing. Now, before we started recording, you indicated you wish more young optometrists, optometry students were motivated to be in private practice, an opinion I could not agree more with because the opportunities are so significant within this within private practice. But I want to hear your opinion. What's the most important reason or reasons for considering private practice? What would advice from your own journey would you share with those who may be on the fence about it? So owning a private practice, you're owning a business. And the business, you can either own a job, which most of us do, even when we do own our practices, we own a job. Or you can own a business. And you can really leverage your time. Um, there's one book I've recently read called Buy Back Your Time. It has been a game changer. Um, and just how I honor and respect that and build around what I'm building. So you can pedal along and work for somebody else and build their dreams, or you can wake up every day and build your own. And my journey into private practice, you know, I wasn't making what I needed to in private practice when I first came out. I was working in a commercial entity for six years of my life. I could write a book on what I saw in there on just the differences between a commercial entity and a private practice. And I was willing to do that work and do that energy to get there. And I think we need to just see more of us doing it successfully. And you got to find your tribe. You have to find support. I have four people that I can call on speed dial that are doing it every day. And we bounce ideas off of each other back and forth. It's just about sharing in the journey. It's not about the competition. You are the competition. Be it. And that's, I think, where I've always lived. And it's just about, I, my dad was a, my parents owned a business um, in Colorado Springs, which is why I can't live there anymore because my head was on the side of a truck for most of my life. Um, but I just saw that you really get to wake up and I'm not saying it's, it's easy, right? There are very, very hard days when you're, you have to make payroll and you know, what we all went through in 2020 on keeping the lights on. And, but it's just so rewarding on what you're leveraging with your time and your commitment and what we get to do. And by you giving that away to somebody else, you're not getting to do that, right? So I think that's what I want more people to understand is it's your early years that really, really matter that add up to decades on the back end. So Figure out what your vision is. If you want to be a clock in and clock out, you better be the best employee that is out there. Bring new things, but also understand that there's more out there and find your tribe. I think that's super, super important. Yeah, I, I always like to talk about this in the context of if you're a private practice owner, you're you as you said, you own a business and that you have the job within the business 100%. But you own a business. As a doctor, we take care of patients. That business that you own is taking care of patients. That business you own is taking care of the employees that you employ. It's taking care of the community that you serve. It's taking care of the families involved. It has such a significant impact for good in the space, in the community where you are and the people that that interact with it. And 
I could not agree with you more about the opportunities and and why private practice should be such a strong consideration for so many. Brad, I can't thank you enough for sharing your experience. Again, congratulations on, on your recent buyout. We always end the podcast with the same question. We believe leaders are readers. What are you currently reading? And we'll also put a link to that previous book that you shared in the show notes as well. It honestly is Buy Back Your Time by Dan Martell. Um, it has been like you ha- you hear about traction and all these things, but this book, I wish I would have found it like three or four years ago. Um, but it just talks about that on what your time is valued and what your time is worth. So if you're paying yourself $100 an hour and you're doing a $15 an hour task, you're actually costing your, your business $85 for every time that you're pedaling away. And so I think that we tend to do that within optometry a little too much on not understanding our value. And I recently have hired an administrative assistant, executive assistant, and I am just so excited to really take this to the next level and leverage what I have built. And I've just learned so much um, from this book. And he has a, a thing called SAS Academy as well, which is really good to listen to and great read. Awesome. Well, like I said, we'll absolutely put a link to that in show notes. Verona, this was awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you, Justin. If you've enjoyed the Practice Advantage podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. And if you want to take your practice to the next level for the sake of your patients, your team, your community, and your bottom line, give us a call 1-800-959-2020, option three. See you next time.